Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This show is all about art, craft, and creativity, and I produce it weekly in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. Happy Independence Day, America! It's great to be free to produce a podcast on this sunny Tuesday, July 4th, 2006. I'd like to welcome you all back to another episode of Craft Sanity. And I just have to say that last week was absolutely craft-tastic. I went to Convergence, the International Hand Weavers Guild of America conference that just so happened to be in Grand Rapids and actually located kitty corner from where I work. If a National Weavers Convention is close enough to throw a rock and hit the building, obviously I just have to go. I met the most fantastic people from all over the globe, and I'm going to be featuring interviews with many of those folks on upcoming shows, so stay tuned for those. And I also had the pleasure of meeting Lindsay Obermeyer last week. She's the Chicago artist and Red Thread project creator who I interviewed for episode 18 of this show. Lindsay and her assistant Sam were in town for the culmination of the Red Thread Project that last Friday night elevated knitting for charity to performance art. For weeks leading up to Friday's event, yarn lovers from all walks of life knitted and crocheted hats that were connected to a bulky six-strand I-cord that Lindsay knitted measuring roughly a third of a mile. The community stitching resulted in 2,011 hats. That was as of Friday night. Some have may have trickled in since then. And 700 of those hats were connected to the bulky red thread for Friday night's performance art experience, where those connected hats were arranged in a beautiful spiral in Rosa Parks Circle, a sculptural amphitheater in downtown Grand Rapids. And there, hundreds gathered to wear the hats and follow the directions of a dance choreographer who kind of told people what direction to move on stage. And uh, I went with my husband, Jeff, and our daughters, Abby and Amelia, and Amelia's just a baby, so Jeff held on to her, and I held on to Abby's hand. Abby wasn't really into it. She did, she uh, missed her nap that day, so um, I spent a lot of my time kind of chasing her around. But we still had fun. We had a great time. All the hats that were donated are going to be displayed at the UICA in Grand Rapids for a while before they're distributed to West Michigan cancer patients. All of us who participated in the project had our reasons. For me... The event was a fun opportunity to stitch for charity and take my family to meet and dance with kindred art-loving spirits. But for Carolyn Clark, a 43-year-old woman from Grand Rapids, the event had a much deeper meaning. There were three reasons why I wanted to do this. This was very compelling to me. One, I love knitting. Two, I'm a cancer survivor. And three, I uh, first knew about the metaphor of the red thread through adapting my daughter who's from China, and that's the Chinese metaphor. So in all three ways, it was like calling me and saying, you got to do this. So um, this is a fantastic project that I felt like I needed to contribute. And it just, when they said that they were going to display them and have a special celebration, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, that's just like super important to me. It was great to meet Carolyn and watch her go around the spiral like a lot of us were doing trying to find our hats and she made four hats for the project and you can see a picture of her with one of her hats at craftsanity.com so that's where i'll be posting all the other photos that i took at friday's event 
I had a little audio clip with Lindsay. I kind of talked to her afterwards. However, a uh, big gust of wind came about that time, and uh, I didn't have my good mic out with me. I just had a small one. And so basically um, what Lindsay said sounds like um, like we're in some kind of wind tunnel, and she starts talking very nicely, and then you just hear this roar of the wind hitting my microphone. So you can look for the Red Thread Project in Chicago next. Lindsay will be working on doing this all over again only probably bigger and better in Chicago. If you want to know more about the Red Thread Project and how Lindsay got it started, download episode 18 of Craft Sanity. You can find it in the archives on my website, or um, you can download it via iTunes. Okay, so let's get on with today's show. Uh, today we're going to hear from Betts White. She's a 41-year-old fashion designer, artist, and crafter living in Verona, Wisconsin. She's going to give us an inside scoop on children's apparel design and share the story of how she's developing her own signature line of handmade goods that combine her skills as a knitter with her knack for working with recycled wool and cashmere sweaters. She's a great inspiration for all of you at home who are hoping to break into the wonderful and challenging handmade goods market. So settle in with your latest project and prepare to be inspired. I'm curious about your name. And it's Betts. Is that short for anything, or is that your given name? No, my given name is Elizabeth, and um, my parents and my brothers call me Betsy. And um, all the way through high school, I was Betsy, and everyone always just ended up calling me Betts anyway. And I don't know, sometime, I guess, in college, I decided, well, let's just go by Betts, since, I don't know, it felt like it was more me. And uh, I don't really know why I spelled it with a Z, but um, I guess I was trying to really, you know, cut the, cut the Betsy thing off, you know. <laughs> I see. Okay. So anyone that's met me since college calls me Bets. Um, but then when I get around my family, I'm, I'm Betsy again, so. Yeah, well, our families always have those, kind of a license. I think they just assumed <laughs> to call us whatever they want. Right. I understand your background is in fashion design, but That's be- right. before that, have you always done crafts? You know, have you always done artistic things? Yes. Um, you know, my mom was really crafty, and she, she still is. And it's funny because um, I have two older brothers, and uh, they're very artistic. And um, she always says things like, um, you know, I don't know where you kids get your talent, and you're all so creative. Oh, it's just beyond me. And and it's funny because um, it's it's all from her. <laughs> um, I mean, she was never, you know, formally trained as an artist or anything like that. But um, I just have so many memories of sitting around the kitchen table doing paper quilling, snowflake ornaments, and, you know, uh, corn husk dolls, and painting little rocks and gluing them together. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. I mean, even... Um, summer vacations, um, you know, if we were going to the beach or something like that for a week, uh, she would bring things to make um, sand candles where, you, you know, you melt the wax and the paraffin and you pour it in a little hole you dug in the sand and, um, you know, make little kelp birds sitting on little driftwood logs and, you know, just that whole kind of thing was just something we always did as kids. So Well, it sounds like, you, yeah, you've been into just about everything. Every craft there was, she introduced you to, it sounds like. <laughs> There's probably a little macrame in there, you know, stuff like that. How long have you been selling your creations on the web? Not that long. Um, My website started, uh, I think, just the end of last year. I was um, signed up to do a craft fair in um, Minneapolis and kind of on a whim. And 
um, my husband does web design, and, and uh, I said, you know, the this, this show's coming up. I should probably have a little page up or something, you know. So um, he did my website, and um, I, I don't sell from my website, but I refer people to places where I do sell either, you know, I see. stores or websites or, or whatever. So I am selling on the, on the web now. What are you working on now, your, as far as your collection goes, that you're, you're selling um, in various places online? Um, well, right now, I pretty much everything I'm making is out of recycled wool sweaters um, that I'm washing and felting up, and, and um, I'm making uh, cupcake pin cushions and little coffee cup pin cushions. Um, I do some pillows and blankets and things like that, but what's been really popular has been kind of the whimsical um, cupcake thing. I don't know, there's a big cupcake thing going on. <laughs> there is a big cupcake thing going on because I know I just interviewed an author who had cupcakes, you could knit cupcakes in her book, uh, Lee right. Bradford's book, One's Game. Yeah. And they, I, I know I saw them somewhere else too, a pattern, I think, for crocheted cupcakes. So it is huge right now. Well, and it, it's funny because I think it's like, you know, like a lot of trends, they're sort of um, floating around out there and you become aware of them, but not really consciously. And, uh, you know, like I, I did my first cupcakes for this show in December, and then and then I started seeing them more after that. You know, it was like, oh, all these, you know, parallel, you know, fiber cupcakes are out there. Well, it could be, too, kind of like when you buy a car and you think your car is totally original, and then you go out and you're, uh, well, no car is totally original, but you think, wow, this is pretty, I haven't seen too many of these. And then you start driving around and you realize everybody has the same car. You see one on every corner, you know. Where do you find your materials for, for these? I mean, do you go, are these from your own closet? Or, I mean, do you collect um, from relatives? Tell them, hey, give me your old sweaters. Um, where, where do you find your stuff? Primarily from the Goodwill. Um, I do get donations from friends that have moth problems and um, things like that, <laughs> which is always kind of nice. I have a, um, I used to work at Land's End, and I have a friend that is also a former designer from Land's End. And so, you know, when you work at an apparel company, you can, get a lot of stuff, you know, at a discount. Um, so sweaters are one thing that a lot of man's employees employees can kind of stockpile. And um, so she was always passing along sweaters to me and, and uh, you know, in, in great colors and, um, you know, bummer about that moth problem, but sure, I'll take your sweater. <laughs> so have you ever cut into a sweater that didn't have a moth problem and just – you know, just because it's your material. I mean, have you ever? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I'm just yeah. I have no um, no hesitation with the scissors. You know, I mean, there's there's a split second where, um, especially if it's you know a donation from somebody else, it's approximately my size. Yeah. <laughs> I think, hmm, would I ever wear this? And you know, sometimes I'll try it on, or sometimes I'll uh, you know wait a day or something. But usually it's straight into the washer, and you know. Um, I'm already, you know, visualizing it. So are you felting? Did you felt uh, the sweaters before you cut them? or Technically it's called fulling because felting is um, when a non it's, it's a non-constructed fabric. So fibers are bonded together with heat and moisture and friction and, and you know, they become matted together. But um, a sweater or, you know, woven piece of goods um, is already constructed. So when that is... Um, washed and the fibers, you know, the wool fibers fluff up and bond together and all that, um, that's actually called fulling. But the terms have really become 
uh, interchangeable. I mean, I call it salting all the time just because. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know the difference. Yeah, educate all of us. That's no problem with that. So that way when we talk about these things, we sound a little more informed. Um, (laughs) There's never anything wrong with that. How did you even decide to start working with sweaters? I mean, where did that come from? Well, I um, went to school for fashion design. and um, Where did you go? I went to the University of Cincinnati. Okay. And one of the semesters there was... uh, like a textures focus, and you could work in leather or knitwear. I don't know why those two are particularly combined together. Yeah, but anyway, those are two extremes, it seems like. <laughs> well, I guess they're not, you know, the the standard cut-and-sew knits that, you know, the majority of uh, garments are, you know, made from. But, okay. Um, so this was sort of like the specialty semester. And so I picked um, knitwear. I just had always, you know, loved sweaters and you know, could hand knit and things like that. So um, that's when we learned how to use knitting machines. And we had this little room with about six knitting machines in there. And the, the class sort of divided, like half of us was, you know, decided to work on leather and the other half decided to learn these knitting machines. And they're just, they're so cool. I mean, they're just so mechanical. And, you know, if you if you know how to knit by hand and then you try one of these machines and it's like, you know, you just push the carriage from left to right, and, oh, wow, I have a row. That was a row. <laughs> you know, and then you go whoosh, back in the other direction, and, wow, now I have two rows. Um, and they're they're quite complicated, and they can be kind of frustrating because, you know, it's a mechanical thing, and, you know, all kinds of crazy things can go wrong. So um, so I, I learned that, and I, I thought it was really cool. And um, I'm not exactly sure how I went from you know, just being fascinated with the knitting machine to felting the wool that I was, you know, knitting on the machine. Um, I'm not really sure what what transpired there, but at some point um, I bought a used knitting machine um, after I graduated and just, you know, I have, I have to have this in my life because this is really cool. And um, one of the things with hand knitting or machine knitting is, you know, the shaping, like you need to shape the armhole or the neck or the sleeve or... You know, so there's still, even though you're knitting back and forth on this knitting machine, when you get to an increase or a decrease, you have to stop and, and you know, arrange the needles as such to, to shape your garment. Right. And, you know, pattern making was never, you know, my thing. I mean, I could do it and I, I needed to do it and um, I learned how to do it, but um, all the really technical, precise stuff was really not my thing. So... Um, I don't know. I just thought it was really cool that you could knit a big piece of fabric and then wash it and felt it up, and then you could just cut it in whatever shape you wanted, and you didn't really have to worry about, you know, the tedium of going back and forth and arranging all the needles properly and all that stuff. So I think that's kind of, you know, maybe my laziness or something. (laughs) Um, But I just thought it was really fun to just start cutting it up and, and, you know, making different things out of it. So what so. sort of things were you making when you first started felting and, and experimenting? Um, well, it was, it was about, I was trying to think of when this was. It was about 15 years ago, or maybe it was about 15 years ago that I bought the machine, and then I started uh, experimenting um, in, the, in the following years. And I was making rugs. So um, at that point, I, I wasn't experimenting with recycled uh, materials too much. I was... I was knitting on the knitting machine and cutting it, you know, cutting and piecing together and making rugs. And I did, um, I did at some point um, supplement 
some of the things that I was knitting with um, sweaters from the thrift store and sort of working them together. Because at the time, I really wasn't finding great colors at the thrift store, so I was sort of, um, you know, mixing the two together. And um, I was living in Atlanta at the time, and I was trying to get them into some galleries. And I did actually sell a few um, from some galleries there, or in some galleries in Atlanta. What was the response when you started, you know, trying to get your stuff in galleries? I know I've talked to a lot of artists who say when they're into fiber art, if it's not something that's like a woven piece that hangs on the wall, if it's something that has a practical use, it's sometimes harder to get, you know, get into the gallery because um, people have these, sometimes hold very fast to the traditional definition of what art is and how, how did you um, find in your experience how were you received with your felted materials and the pieces you were doing um well that stuff definitely has been a challenge and you know i always get kind of snotty about it like oh well see my item has form and function so i should be penalized because <laughs> you know it can do more than just look pretty you can walk on it sorry yeah. so. <laughs> I mean, those are just my thoughts, actually, you know, don't say that. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, at the time I had gotten, you know, decent response from um, the people that owned the shops, and they were kind of, I don't know, what I what I sort of call like a gift gallery, you know, not really a fine art, high-end um, place, more of a, you know, a gallery, but not, um, but definitely some place where someone would buy gifts and and maybe some art pieces for themselves. But um, I struggled with that. There were times when I'd go into a gallery that would have my rugs and they'd be basically <laughs> used as a display for somebody's pottery or something. You know, oh, like they'd geez. have it draped over some some surface, you know, some big wooden block or something. And then and then somebody's pottery would be sitting on top and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm glad I'm showcasing somebody else's <laughs> oh um, so I didn't I I think I only sold maybe one or two rugs um, and at some point I started making some more sculptural things where I was um, using um, knitted eye cord you know what I'm talking yes. about mm-hmm. um, yes. and uh, I have a I have a long history with knitting spools <laughs> Anyway, so I was knitting I-cord out of the same yarn that I was using on the knitting machine, and I was using that as a finishing edge on my rugs and as, like, another sort of dimensional detail. I would put it along the um, seams. And so I started using that. I was thinking about, like, a coil pot that you would make. Oh, yeah. So I would, you know, stitch it around and around. And and I ended up making um, a couple of really brightly colored um, teapots and teacups and they weren't paint cushions, they were, you know, like open vessels. Um, and so it would be like this little coordinating, you know, teapot with the spout and the little lid and then the, the little um, cup and saucer. And um, I sold a few of those. And um, and then I think that sort of stopped because I got a new job. I got a new day job and, and moved away. And um, you know what it's like when you move and everything sort of gets oh, yeah. kind of put on hold. So, um, so then and that. What was your just to interrupt uh, if you don't mind? Uh, what was your day job at the time when you first got into all this? Um, I was working um, for a children's wear manufacturer in Atlanta. Okay. And I was designing um, uh, girls' playwear. So, um, you know, leggings and t-shirts and um, little knit dresses and that kind of thing. Okay. 
And then you moved. Uh, what was your next job then? After when you, at the point you moved. Um, well, then, then that's when uh, we moved to Wisconsin, and um, I worked at Land's End, and I was basically um, kind of along the same lines. I was doing um, infant and toddler apparel and, and girls' apparel, and and uh, it really encompassed everything from uh, you know t-shirts and jeans and sweaters and um, swimwear and kind of like the whole gamut. So, um, so I've always had. Um, I've always been in uh, the children's industry. Designing sort of is my is my main my main thing, and then the whole fibery, felty stuff sort of been in the background. Well, when you're designing children's apparel, are you sketching things out, or are you actually involved when you are you picking fabrics and and actually involved in the sewing of mock-up uh, designs, or how does that work? Um, well, it's the the first company I worked for um, in Atlanta was. Um, they actually had factories in the south, and we had a sample room, um, uh, not in the office facility, but but close by. And um, so it was much more hands-on. Things were made in the U.S. primarily um, at that time, and so it was it was a lot more um, it was a lot more hands-on. I mean, I wasn't involved in the sewing, but if there was a problem with the construction or the design of something, I could go to the sample room and and, and talk to the people and look at the machinery and say, oh, now I understand why, why that won't work. Let's try it this other way. I see. But, um, but yeah, it was um, sketching, sketching the design. Um, well, actually, at the beginning of the season was setting the color palette and talking about themes and sort of presenting um, the big overall concept of, of what we were going to, um, you know, sort of achieve that season. And then um, you'd work with merchandising and decide how many groups you're going to do and, um how many pieces there needs to be in each group, and then really design, um, you know, the detailing of, of the various garments and sketch them, and um, have the samples made up, and work with the artists um, designing the prints, and um, coordinating all that with the graphics, and, um, you know, having the fabric printed, and just pretty much every step of the way, seeing the garments come back made up in the right fabric. I'm curious now, you've scaled back to part-time, it sounds like. Right. Um, well, I was working um, uh, at Land's End part-time after uh, my first son was born, um, let's see, he's six and a half. So um, I started working uh, part-time when I came back from maternity leave, which was like three, three or four days of, of the week. Um, and then two years ago, I, I left the company, and um, now I'm freelancing and uh, doing my, my whimsical felty recycled stuff and kind of oh, just a whole slew of things. I'm curious about your decision to scale back. Um, was that largely a, a family decision, or did you just feel like, you know, there's some other things you wanted to do? You mean when I left two years ago? Yeah, or? when you decided to leave the company. Let's see. Why did I leave the company? Um, well, it's kind, of, it's kind of a whole bunch of things put together. I had been there for about six or seven years, and... Um, that seems to be my shelf life at <laughs> I get to a certain point and I just, you know, I've, 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 I did what I came for and, uh, there was a lot of corporate changes. Um, uh, you know, the company was bought and there was just, um, lots and lots of changes and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't what it used to be combined with the fact that, um, you know, I'm a mom now and I was working part time, which I feel just enormously fortunate that they 
permit me to do that because basically, um, you know, I, I, I kept the same job that I had before, um, which was kind of hard because I was, I mean, it, 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 on paper was scaled back, but it really, it really was like trying to cram a full-time job into three, three to four days a week. But, um, I was just really fortunate that, um, they were patient with me and allowed me to do that because really I was the only person I knew there <laughs> that was doing it. Um, but, um, I guess, you know, they wanted, they wanted to keep me and I, I wanted to stay to a degree. So I was able to do that and I did it for so long and then I just, you know, my, my second son, uh, was two and a half and I felt like, I'm missing it. I'm missing it. Like, he's, yeah. I don't know who this kid is. I, <laughs> I gotta be around this kid more. So, um, so it was kind of, it was kind of both, you know, like I sort of had had enough and I also, um, you know, wanted to, um, be around my kids a little more before they started school. So, and it's, well, I know it's a, it's a, a thing that I think I, I wrestle with myself. I have a day job as well that I still work full time with two kids, a little over two and a seven month year old. So it's a, wow. yeah, it's a struggle. And then especially when you have side projects that interest you, like I, you know, I do this podcast and I'm interested in art and crafts myself. So it's, it's one of those things we always wrestle with, but I know a lot of the listeners are in the same boat. So that's why I always ask about that. Um, so is it more challenging? I mean, some, a lot of people say when they leave their day job and they work for themselves, um, it's very liberating, but at the same time it is, you work much harder because you have, I mean, you don't have that, that security of the paycheck every Thursday or Friday or whenever you get paid. When I left two years ago, my, my husband was still immersed in the corporate world. So there was the security of, or at least the, the illusion of security. <laughs> There's uh, this, the security of uh, having, you know, health insurance and, you know, those, those basic benefits and, and a solid income. So, you know, we obviously assessed things before I left and, and decided that it would, you know, it would work. We could make it work. Um, however, in the last, I don't know, four, six months, something like that, he's left the corporate world as well. And so now it's even more... Um, exciting because <laughs> um, because we're really um, you know we we still have health insurance but um, you know we got to pay for it this time and and so it's definitely um, it's nice because it's flexible and um, you know now my oldest is in well school's out for the summer but you know he was in kindergarten this year and so uh, my husband and I could sort of take turns. Uh, volunteering in his classroom for an hour here or there, going on a field trip or, um, you know, and, and, uh, so it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge. Um, and you really need to think through your budget and, uh, and, and just the dynamic of how, how your life's going to change. Um, I had a pretty big adjustment because, you know, for the majority of the two years and, you know, my husband was still in the corporate world um, I was home by myself, and at first, I mean, you have two little kids, so I'm sure you can relate to this. Like, to have the kids be at preschool or kindergarten, and to be home, like by myself, <laughs> with nobody <laughs> out there. You had I peace mean, and quiet. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that had never happened before. So at first, it was like, oh my gosh, this house is a pigsty. I I got to clean. No, no, I'm supposed to be working. Like, um, my one son's in preschool three days a week, so those are my work days. And then the other two days are my mommy days with him. And um, so, you know, I, I know that I'm paying, I'm paying for preschool today. It's my work day. You know, I've got to get 
um, I've got to get a lot done. And I'm, I'm kind of a, um, you know, I'm kind of a crabby boss, you know, <laughs> if I don't get a lot done, I can, I can be kind of crabby, but, um, but I do, I do work a lot at night. I'm, I'm fortunate to have a studio space in, in my home and, um, it's actually like a, a sunroom. So it has doors, it has like French doors off that, off of our family room. Okay. So I can, I can be in here, you know, if, if, uh, somebody's napping or whatever, I can, you know, be in here and, and do some work. Um, I can work at night after the kids go to bed, um, and then I can leave at a complete disaster and just shut the door and don't have to worry about, you know, all my sharp implements injuring someone in my laundry. <laughs> <laughs> One of the big transitions for me is that I'm I'm pretty social, and so to to leave the work environment, even though I was, you know, it was my choice to leave it. Um, I was, you know, I'm here in my studio, and you know, the first the first month was like, oh heaven, I'm I can be by myself, but then after that, you know, the reality set in that like, I'm a little isolated, you know. Um, I I uh, made it a point to um, have coffee out with um, one of my friends that um, became a stay-at-home mom, but is but was also a designer, um, and that was really a saving grace that I could meet her every couple of weeks and. And just, you know, have a cup of coffee and maybe, you know, show her some little sketches that I had been working on and talk about whatever she was working on and just have this, like, um, intense 45-minute, you know, caffeine chat of just what's going on. And that was, like, kind of enough to power me up and, and uh, go back and, and be, my, be by myself and, you know, create some more. So I think that's definitely a necessity that if you're going to go uh, – work in your studio at home and, and, you know, do it alone that you need to make sure that you really have some connection back to some other creative folk and, and, um, you know, kind of keep, kind of keep that brainstorming thing happening because it's, it's hard to do it by yourself. Well, I think that's great advice. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, people can use that if they're contemplating a similar move themselves to kind of have that you know, peer group of some kind, whether it be one person or a group of friends that you chat with or meet with on a regular basis, um, just to kind of keep yourself going. Because you said the first month was great, and then after that, it probably becomes you got to stay motivated and you know stay. Um, you know, you don't want to be talking to yourself in your studio. You know, yeah. <laughs> you want you want to keep yourself uh, maintain the sanity and and keep the momentum going. So it sounds like right. you're very successful with that. Right. Yeah. Well, and one of one of the things that you know. I really miss about, um, you know, designing for a, a company is, um, you know, there are other designers around and, and uh, you know, you're looking at color and fabric and print and you're talking about it and, and you know, it is really, it is really a fun kind of brainstorming environment. So, um, you know, you definitely have to figure out a way to create that on your own. How challenging was it for you to find work? Because it sounds like you're still doing uh, designing for the fashion industry as well, freelance. Is that true? Yeah. Um, well, I I'm doing a little bit for for Lanza still, not a lot, but um, I'm kind of trying to keep you know the lines open there. But um, primarily, the the one thing that I had in my head when I left was um, to work with a design studio in New York. Um, submitting textile designs and graphics for the children's wear industry. So um, how that works is um, designers for designers for apparel companies usually have artists in-house 
um, or they're or they do some of the, you know the designs for the embroideries or graphics themselves. But often they go to these big um, print shows and or to um, print agents, usually in New York, sometimes you know on the other coast, um, for to look at sort of a pool of their artwork and. Um, these agencies or studios represent artists from all over the world, and they they um, usually tell their artists, um, oh, for the season, these are the trends, these are the color palettes, you know, this is what we're looking for. And then these artists will um, submit designs that are either, um, you know, hand-painted or done on the computer or, or embroidered by hand, um, all kinds of things that are suitable to be um, reproduced you know, on a, on a garment that's going to be manufactured. Okay. So um, as a designer, I often you know, went to these print shows and met with these people and bought things that these people showed me. Um, and so now I'm, on, I'm basically on the other side of the table. I'm one of the artists that's submitting to a design studio. Are these sketches that you're doing, or um, how, what, what medium are you working in for those designs you're submitting? Well, actually, I'm I'm doing a lot of um, hand embroidery and applique work, which is something that's just really you know hot in the market right now. And a lot of the studios say that they, you know, their their customers just really hungry for that, you know, category of items. I mean, they they buy a lot of computer generated um, prints for I don't know sleepwear and turtlenecks and crazy you know swim trunks and stuff like that. But as far as embroidery and applique for um, kids' sweaters and T-shirts and um, embroidered jeans, like that kind of thing. They're really looking for that a lot. So that's been something that I've been able to do. And um, and it's, it's been a blast. They've been using a lot of um, – that's, kind of, that's kind of how I got back into some of the um, uh, use of the recycled sweaters because I was going to the thrift store and getting sweaters and using that sort of as my um, – background material for the designs I was doing for this this print studio. Um, and then I sort of, you know, went off, did my parallel uh, Beth's White pincushion thing. I see. So when you're do- designing for the fashion industry and sending out your work, do you just make one sample and send it in and then they are able to reproduce that for the masses? Right. What happens is um, I usually do a group, like, Say the theme is woodland creatures or something like that, and I'll do at least five pieces. Um, so I'll do, you know, a squirrel, a rabbit, a deer, and an owl, and then something else. And um, I'll use, you know, different materials, and I'll like applique and embroidery, and, and you know, something or other. So I'll do like an actual front of a sweater um, that I've, you know, done the design on, and then um, the design studio gets it, and then they show it to whatever manufacturer visits them. So say it's, I don't know, The Gap or Gymboree or somebody like that. So they'll come um, to the design studio or to the show, and then um, when that manufacturer buys my design, then uh, the studio gets paid and then I get paid. So it's speculative. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, doing, it's doing a bunch of work up front and hoping that somebody buys it. Um, and uh, But, you know, the beauty of it for me is that I don't have to, I'm not the designer that has to worry about how to manufacture it, you know, and, uh, and, and I mean, obviously having been a designer, I have all that just, you know, in my blood, I kind of just know it. And so 
um, I'm realistic about it. And I think that's why I've been pretty successful with it because um, I know what the designers are looking for because I've been on that side of the table. So, so Yeah, because I think the thing that I'm probably having a hard time grasping here is, okay, if you're in your studio and you pull some materials together, you're doing your woodland creature theme, your five pieces, do you have to even worry about, you know, whether the materials you have on hand are are materials that the manufacturer can get? I mean, is that even something that crosses your mind? or? Well, it's, it's purely... Um, it's purely inspirational. It's concept. Okay, so it's not so, this actual fabric will be used. Well, and everything I use pretty much is is um, uh, felt and sweaters and um, you know embroidery floss and yarn and and buttons and you know it's all. It's not like I'm using some floral printed something or other. You know, it's a conceptual thing. It's not. You know, because I guess when I look at my, you know, craft room, it's a complete disaster. Um, and there's just stuff all over the place. And some of this yarn, um, in fact, I just wrote a pattern not too long ago that I put on my website. And then I realized um, a kind gentleman told me who's expert in, you know, what yarn is actually out and, you know, what's available. That I had written this pattern with a completely, um, a, a yarn that's no longer on the market. Oh, you know? But it was from my, you know, stockpile. And, um you know, I mean, it's one of those things where it's a free pattern, and I, gave, I did give a suggestion of, you know, what people can switch in, you know, trade, you know, use right. instead. <laughs> but it was really hilarious to me because I'm like, okay, I am just, you know, crazy because, you know, I'm in my room and I just grab whatever looks good, you know. And it sounds like that's not an issue, though, for the designing you're doing because it's a concept and it's up to that person who purchases your design to d- figure out, okay, how do we, what are we going to use and how are we going to bring this to market? So Right. Like if they're, you know, say they're doing, a, you know, earth tone corduroy, you know, pants that are going to coordinate with these little sweaters I've designed, they could say, oh, yeah, well, you know, instead of that velvet that she used on the owl wing, we can just do our corduroy. And, you know, it's supposed to be like uh, a jumping off point. Uh, They buy the rights completely so they can do it exactly as is. They can change it. You know, they can, like, shrink the owl and turn them into a print and put it all over a turtleneck. (laughs) I mean, they can do whatever they want with it. So what is it like to have the experience of walking into a store and seeing your design? Well, it's it's really cool. Um, I have to say, um, when I was working for, um, you know, corporate, in the corporate world, that that was much easier to do because obviously, you know, I knew what the label was and I, or I knew what store had bought, you know, whatever. But now that I do this through a design studio, I don't really have that satisfaction anymore. Um, because, you know, I have no idea who they're selling, um, my designs to. And that's, that's fine. You know, I, they're the middleman and they certainly earn, earn their money by representing me to, you know, the world. I mean, I could never, I could never do that, you know, on my own. So, um, but, you know, they don't tell me, oh, guess what? The Gap bought, you know, your owl or whatever. Oh, so you don't. So, fi- so you don't find out. You just get paid. You know, someone bought it. You have no idea who. Right. I right. see. Okay. Which you know, it's it's um that is another reason why I started my website and doing some art fairs and doing this this Beth's White collection because um, as much as I um, like what I do for the design studio and I'll, I'll continue to do it because it's it's really there's a lot of freedom and it's my whole like you know, 15 years of being a children's wear designer, I know it, you know, I know how to do that and I can, I can make it work and, and, uh, and I really enjoy doing it. 
But the one thing that I don't like about it is, you know, being so anonymous. Like, okay, well, it's out there in the world now. Um, I, I have seen, in, in two years, I have seen one catalog come into my mailbox that had this little embroidered pant that I did. I'm like, oh, there it is. I did that one. <laughs> you know? I'll, I'll put that in my portfolio, that one lonely little pant. You know? um, but so I, so I do I do miss that, you know, I, I send the work off. The studio calls and says, hey, we got your work. It looks great. Thanks. And, and then, you know, hopefully a couple of weeks later I'll get a, an email that says, you sold, you know, Woodland Creature number seven. Yay. And then, you know, okay. <laughs> it's not, it's not, I mean, you know, sure, the money is, is always good, but um, it's not really inspiring. So, um, so like I said, that's kind of why I started my, my best white line, because I knew, I knew that, you know, it was really me. It's my name. Um, I can go, you know, I did this, this art fair in December and, it was just amazing. It was so fun to have people walk up to my table and have their face light up because they saw something they liked, you know, and to have them, or to have them pick something up, roll it around in their hands and, like, shrug and put it down. <laughs> 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 it was like, okay, noted. Um, didn't like that one. <laughs> or the price is too high or, you know, whatever. Yeah, so. people always have their reasons for, you know, passing by. But, um, yeah. Well, well, I think it's really kind of cool to hear you talk about how, you know, you're, you you have that security of knowing, hey, I can sell designs in the fashion industry because you just know how to do that. Um, and do you find, I mean, do you make more money off that than you do your, your side uh, work that you do with um, the Betts White um, Oh, totally. Collection? Yeah. Totally. And I, you know, I have guilt about, about working on my own stuff because I know that, you know, it's not, it's unless, you know, I mean, there's always hope that it'll, it'll, It'll be something. It'll be something someday. I mean, <laughs> I I don't really know what I want it to be. You know, I I it could evolve into something else, and I would be you know really happy if it did. Um, so yeah, I you know that's why I guess that's how I get I get by allowing myself to do my own thing. Is that hey, you never know. It could it could turn into something really cool. The cupcake pin cushions were those one of the first. Uh projects with recycled sweaters that you were you you made or where did or you said it started actually with rugs yeah so what happened was i i was you know 10 12 years ago i was doing these rugs that i was knitting on the knitting machine and then i moved and sort of like packed up the knitting machine and and had children and you know knitting machines have a lot of like pokey little things on them oh sure yeah <laughs> and and also obviously you have no time when you have children so so that whole thing got put on hold for for ages um, and then, uh, you know, I, I never really lost interest of, with felting and, and that kind of thing. And, um, kind of on a whim, it was, it was after I had, um, left the corporate world, um, that, and I was, you know, starting to play with the, the sweaters again, doing my work for the design studio. Um, and a friend of mine, um, had been doing some, some art fairs and trying to, trying to start her own, um, textile print or printed textile line and I thought you know maybe maybe I should do an art fair maybe I should make some some stuff out of these recycled sweaters I'm sort of accumulating here and and um oh I don't know the table's only fifty dollars what the heck I'll, I'll do it you know and it was it was in Minneapolis and uh uh I live you know right outside Madison Wisconsin and, and my brother lives in Minneapolis so I thought well that's you know that's a nice weekend road trip we'll just go up there stay with him have a nice visit and I'll just do this this art fair so in preparation for that, I um, 
I mostly did pillows and um, a couple of blankets, and I started doing these felt-covered journals. They're sort of like a like a book cover um, on a blank, um, like acid-free blank journal mm-hmm. for sketching. So that's kind of primarily what I was building up for my inventory for this show. I, the cupcake was not in the picture at all until I had this big pile of scraps. And, of course, you know, I'm saving, like, every little shard of sweater, especially if it was, like, a really great stripe or a really beautiful color. And um, all the ribbings, the rib cuffs, they don't really felt the same way that the rest of the sweater does. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a little bit just because of the, the structure, I guess. They don't really fall up quite the same way. So I had this big pile of rib, and it happened to be um, a mommy day with um, my four-year-old. And, you know, I really try to stay out of my studio on the mommy days. Um, I sneak in there during nap time and stuff. But, like, I really try to have, like, my work day is a work day and my play day with the kids is play day with the kids. But that doesn't mean that, you know, your creative brain can ever really turn off. And, and I don't, you know, I don't want it to. So it was time for his nap. So I took him upstairs and we read a little story and we were laying in this bed and, and he was thrifting off, and I was thrifting off. And for some reason, you know, how inspiration will hit you in the shower or whatever. Right. I was drifting off in these, like, images of felty rib or something around my head. And I don't know, it just looked like a cupcake paper. And I, at this, right before I conked out, I thought, oh, i got to make cupcakes out of that. <laughs> so, like, 20 minutes later, I woke up and snuck downstairs, and I started prototyping um, my little cupcake pin cushion. And, uh... I kind of thought I was crazy, you know. It's it's back in that like that like uh, studio isolation of okay, I'm here by myself. These look like a bunch of sock balls. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> what are these things? So I made up a couple and I I took pictures of them and I emailed them to my sister-in-law and a couple friends and I said, okay, like, what does this look like? <laughs> and they were just like, oh my god, they're so cute, you know. And they just really had a positive response. So kind of at the last minute, I made about two dozen of them, which, of course, you know, I always make them in dozens now because they are cupcakes. They're cupcakes, but. yes. So I made two dozen of them for the show, and they sold out in, like, the first two hours of the show. Oh, wow. They just, I mean, people were just, I don't know, it was Christmas time. I think, you know, it was a really great show, a lot of a lot of people, and they were just ready to buy. But um, and I had a little, like, three-tiered um like cake display that I had them on and there's just people were just like ecstatic over them they were giddy so it was really fun and uh so I've um I I keep making them I keep selling them and now I'm uh I have a little coffee coffee cup cup of joe pin cushion that's sort of you know the cupcake's friend and did I answer your question well yeah what sells better the, the cup of joe or the cupcakes um, well, the cupcake's been around longer, so that's that's been selling better at this point. Um, and the the little coffee actually takes a lot more work. I I charge a little more for it, but it uh it might be it might be becoming a limited edition. <laughs> <laughs> so well, and how much is a cupcake? Um, I've been selling them for twenty eight. Okay, and then the cup of Joe is how much? Those are thirty two. Okay, well they're so cute. They look Thank just you. great. I mean, I could see like people um. It's a great gift for the crafter or artist that has everything, you know. Right, <laughs> you right. Know, like it's because it's something that's it's just novel and they're cute and they're practical too. Because it sounds like your your a lot of your work is very practical. You know, there's it's more than one function. It's not just cute, but you can put your pins in it. You know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's always it helps to alleviate the guilt too when we're purchasing things. Um, 
You're like, well, you know, it's not just something that sits there. I can really use this. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I, I need a pin cushion. I need like, a pin cushion, yeah. I can't not have a pin cushion. Yeah, my other one's just way too small, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, and I wanted to get back to you. had mentioned that you have um, a long history with knitting spools, and I want I wanted to see what you <laughs> actually meant by that because you said you were doing coiled um, vessels with um, knitting, and that must have took forever to knit enough coil to be able to coil it up, you know. Um, right. with that I-cord. So w- what is your history with knitting spools? My history with knitting spools is that when I was a child, my grandparents, um, they lived in a different state than we, we did. We moved around a lot. They lived in New Jersey, and we lived in various other places. And and so they were always, you know, having gifts sent to us for birthdays and Christmas. And, and um, you know, we... We tried to know each other the best we could, but, you know, I think a lot of times they'd go into the toy store and say, well, I have, you know, two grandsons, and they're this age, and I have a granddaughter, and, you know, she's six, or whatever. And uh, so, inevitably, gift after gift after gift was a knitting spool. <laughs> and it became it became this joke. You know, like, my mom would say, oh, I got a box from your grandparents, and yay! And, you know, my brothers would open their cool, whatever it was that they got, and then i get my box, and... And everybody would say, oh, it's probably a knitting spool. And then, you know, I would open it and just start bawling because, damn it, it wasn't a knitting spool. <laughs> you know, and God loves a knitting spool, but, I mean, how many do you need? Well, how many did you end up with? Oh, I don't know. I uh, I was disgusted. More I'm than sure. you needed? Yeah. More than needed, yes. And, you know, they were like plastic and wood and different sizes and whatever. But, like, <laughs> how many knitting spools can you do? So, so it is kind of funny that I've I've befriended the knitting spool again, but but the knitting spool that I use now is actually um, it's called a magic cord machine, and it's a uh, it's got a crank. It's made by Bond America, and I should I should sell these on my site because uh, I mean people are always asking me about them. And I was knitting at an art fair the other day, and I was using my little cranky thing, and it's it's got like four little little um, latch hooks on the inside. Yeah, I think I've seen I've seen this in the store, and I was kind yeah. of skeptical about I didn't know if it really worked, so I haven't bought it. Cause a lot it, of times, it works. <laughs> I've bought so many things that don't work. You know what I mean? Where, yeah. where I got, I'm to the point now where I'm like, you know what? If it doesn't work, then I don't want it, you know? Yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, so it does work. This one so it works. Work. It works on with the yarn that I that I use. I use a uh, pretty thin uh, wool yarn that I that's on cones because it's, you know, what I use on my knitting machine. Um so, yeah, so you turn a little crank and the cord comes out and, and then I put it in, um, I knit, you know, as much cord as I possibly can and then I put it in a lingerie bag and I put it through the washing machine to felt it and um, then it looks really great. It's it's like, you know, you can't see any other knit stitches and it's just this like soft, round cord and uh, it's what I use now on the um, on the handles of my uh, little cupcake, or Your little cu- cup of dough. Yeah. The little copy. So, um, but yeah, when I started making uh, the teapot and different vessels out of it, I just you know would knit it with this this little cranky thing, and then um, you know zigzag stitch it together. Um, and I would do it with other other pieces of felted fabric as well. It wasn't just all cord. It was cord mixed with strips of um, you know either the recycled sweaters or or wool that I knit. Um, so, oh, but I have a I have an, a funny story about the knitting spool. My son was in kindergarten this year, and um, they have different topics that they um, that they focus on. 
and uh, whether it's like you know baking or uh, wood and paper or something like that. Well, anyway, this last one um, was on fabric and, and fiber. So you know they had people come in and talk about you know sheep shearing and spinning, and they played with uh, little weaving looms and things like that. And so his teacher asked if I wanted to come in and, and talk about knitting. And so I knew his teacher was a big knitter, and I knew that the that the lady that you know that shears the sheep came in and talked about um, spinning. And I just thought, okay, you know, like what can, what can I contribute that's that's different? So I thought, well, I'll bring in my little um, crank cord maker. And I thought, you know, well, that will be cool because they can each come up and turn the crank and see how it works. And um, I did a little research online, and I found this this website that was all about. Um, well, they call them knitting Nancys, which we never call them knitting Nancys, but anyway. Um, and it showed like a million different ones and how you can make them. And they rated all the craft ones that are out there that are sort of marketed to teens and um, on and on. And they had um, they had these this idea of um, taping four popsicle sticks to a toilet paper tube, and basically like creating you know this is a knitting spool that you could make in a in a class of kids and. Um, you know, you don't need any sharp implements. You don't need a big crochet hook or something like that. You can just wrap the yarn around the um, the popsicle sticks that are sticking up above the top of this toilet paper tube. And so I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I, you know, he could do that, and you know, his class would enjoy that. So I um, I uh, made a couple of these, and I brought my little turn crank one in, and then I also brought this ball of giant yarn it's like lion lion brand big yarn mm-hmm. you know yarn yeah. is like I know, it's like the biggest yarn you could you could find it's actually bigger than the knitted eye cord it's huge and so i started thinking about about the little um the little popsicle sticks around the, um, the toilet paper tube and i i drew little faces on them thinking like you know this would help me explain to the kids you wrap this around and it's like his little belt and then you give him a little scarf and then you lift the belt over the scarf and that's how you you know you lift it over his little head and so um <laughs> that's kind of you know how i showed him but then my idea with this giant yarn was let's make a human knitting spool like how fun would that be so i thought what if each kid what if there was like four kids that stood up and they were like the pegs of the knitting spool and then I could, like, wrap this giant yarn around them and then have, like, other kids, you know, like, lift the yarn over yeah, and, like, yeah. knit on the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was so fun. I had my husband come with this video camera because I just, I just knew it was going to be a riot. So um, so I showed him the knitting spool first, and then I had them each try with the, um, the toilet paper tube one just so they could, like, understand the concept of, of how it was going to work. Right. And then I, I asked for... Um, four peg volunteers and you know pegs have to stand really still and so I had them face each other the four people face each other in a little tiny circle and then I had four knitters which each of the knitters stood behind each of the peg kids and then I had my son be the anchor because you know you have to like have the one yarn that goes down the middle that you you hold tight right right so he sat on the floor and held the one end and so then I like you know wrapped everyone around once and then as I came around with the yarn again the, each knitter lifted up um, basically what we were calling the belt, which was the first stitch, over the head of the, the kid and into the center. So the four pegs could, you know, look into the center and see this, like, giant icon. Well, how did, I mean, it's performance art for these little kids. And how old were the kids again? In the... Well, they're in kindergarten, so they were all, you know, around six. Oh, very cool. And, and I would say don't do it with anyone younger than that. How did it um, go? 
Well, it went really well. I mean, they were super excited, so it was kind of hard to, like, get them to not jump around and because, you know, if any of the four pegs took a step inward, the whole thing would have just lost its tension and fallen to the ground. And um, so fortunately, the, the kindergarten rug had a grid on it, so like two-by-two-foot squares, so they stood with their toes touching the edge of the square, and that sort of gave them a guide on where to stand. And did so. you end up then with an I-cord um, that you could actually take off, you know, take off your human loom uh, a little no. bit? <laughs> well, you know, as you can imagine, you know, it, it was it was quite open, the holes, you know. Yeah, I um, so it actually, it looked a lot like, like a basketball net. Okay. Like the hoop of, you know, the net on the hoop of the basketball. So it, was, it wasn't something that we could really save and do anything with, but you could see it. You could see the knit stitches, and you could see it growing down like as it went down towards the floor. Well, that's really And fun. that was the length of their attention span anyway. So. Right, right. Yeah, these kids are, yeah, give them a few more years before they're able to, like, sit there with you turning the cranks and making <laughs> cord. <laughs> right. Well, what a great, probably all the other parents were then thinking, geez, I don't know if I can top that. I mean, of course, they probably didn't know what was going yeah, on. Yeah, they, so they weren't there. They didn't know. But, the te- you know, the teacher, I was glad she was a knitter because then, you know, she didn't think I was too crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a fabulous project. And I know as a kid I would have loved to do something like that because I was yeah. always loving anything craft-related that went on. Well, you have – and that's a great idea. So I, I'm imagining that people at home now are going to be – getting their kids anyone is you know has to happens to have four kids on hand yeah <laughs> like try this yeah, it's experiment. great birthday party thing i don't <laughs> yeah well and it's you've clearly embraced the knitting spool <laughs> clearly yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because you know this was such a, a letdown for you <laughs> when you would get one did you ever get one with a crank from your grandparents no no i had no. to buy that one myself yeah but you know i've come to terms with it so. yeah well, I don't know if, if you have any advice for people who um, may be looking at their own closet, you know, and, and deciding, okay, this might be a good time to weed out some of the old sweaters. Um, if, if you want to do kind of a little project at home, I mean, obviously the stuff, you've taken it to the next level and made art out of sweaters by doing sculptural pieces. And a lot of people at home might not feel even close to up to that, you know, to start doing sculptures. Right. But uh, do you have any ideas of, like, little things they might be able to do even with their kids um, as a project? Uh, I don't know if you have any, any things you've done with your kids. With, uh, with recycled sweaters? Yeah, or recycled anything, since that's the theme of uh, I'm trying to round up some shows on just recycled, uh, encouraging people to kind of craft with what they have or with what right. they can find and give it a second wind. Right. Well, as far as a, non- a non-kid thing to do, um, I mentioned I did that um, Shibori um, tutorial. Yes, and I am going to post a link to that. Yes, I love that. So if you want to explain a little bit about that. You just need an unfelted sweater. So, you know, if you go to the thrift store, you know, you got to make sure that, because a lot of the sweaters, you know, that are wool that end up there are already felted. So you need need one that's unfelted, and it needs to be wool. And it should be 100% wool? Um, it should be, and even that, you know, it's it's kind of tricky because you never know how it's been processed in manufacturing, um, but in general, if it's 100% wool, you, you should be good. And unless it says, like, on the care label that you can wash it, then it, you know, is made out of some kind of super wash, something that won't help. But but I have a little trick that I do to, to help prevent uh, problems with that, and it's really tricky now. You ready? Um <laughs> Basically, whatever sweater that you're thinking about doing the shibori uh, technique to, um, you cut off one sleeve and wash that, put that through the washer on hot first, 
and see how much it felts up. And then, um, so you, you know, you wash it with regular laundry or, or you can just wash it by itself um, with hot water and a little bit of soap and put it through the dryer and then take that sleeve out and lay it on top of the other sleeve that you didn't wash and see, you know, did it shrink like a half inch or did it shrink like five inches, you know? And if okay. it shrunk a lot, then you know, okay, this is going to be, you know, this is going to work. So I usually, I usually sacrifice one sleeve to make sure that um, I'm going to get a good result. Well, that saves you time in the long run, though. I mean, a lot of time. Right, because then when the shibori techniques, um, I know when you talked to Lee Radford, she talked about um, shibori a little bit. Um, Basically, it's it's based on a Japanese dyeing technique with a lot of uh, tying off and resist, but it's actually um, uh, creates three-dimensional shapes um, with uh, something that you're pulling. So... um, you tie um, buttons or um, corks or whatever whatever you're comfortable with putting through your washing machine. Um, you tie, you you know, put under the fabric and grab grab you know grab it through from the other side and, and tie it off with cotton string. And or some people use rubber bands. And you don't want to use wool yarn because that'll felt. You want um, <laughs> right because then you have strings hanging off. <laughs> yeah, then it'll be like, you'll have those things in there permanently. You won't be able to remove the, the rocks or whatever you stuck in there. Um, then the cotton has a high wet strength, so the cotton string is a really good thing to use. So you tie, you know, a bunch of little bottles all over the fabric and, you know, a scarf or a bag or, you know, pillow top, whatever, and um, then put it in the lingerie bag and put it through the wash um, on hot and you can check it, you know, if you have a top-loading machine, you can take it out and check it and see um, if it looks like it's felting a lot. Sometimes you got to put it through twice. Um, and then uh, for shibori, I recommend air drying it um, and letting it be completely dry, which might take like two days because of where it's tied off. Um, you know, the fabric's all, you know, tight on top of each other. But you really want it to be completely dry before you um, remove whatever's um, creating the shape in there um, just to get to get it to be really set in there well. So um, so that's basically that's basically what shibori felting is. And, and do you do that, uh, do a lot of shibori in your work that you sell? Or is this something that you kind of just do um, for yourself? It's something that, um, it's funny because it's like, well, to answer, to answer your question, no, I haven't felt any, any shibori things. I've, I've been experimenting with it. And uh, it's kind of funny. It's like one of those um, one of those things that uh, you learn about, and it sort of goes away from your life, and then it resurfaces. Um, back when I first started, you know, with my knitting machine, you know, right after college, goofing around with the wool and stuff, I was doing some of those techniques um, with the machine and its fabric. And it, it wasn't called shibori. I mean, it wasn't really. I don't know. I had this obscure book that showed like different ways you could manipulate the fabric before you felted it. And so I had done all these experiments and they were just swatches. They never were like an actual item. And um, I had sort of completely forgotten about it with, you know, with motherhood and everything. Yeah, I know how that goes. (laughs) So, um, yeah, permanent baby brain. Um, So recently, I'd say, I don't know, last fall, I think, um, well, you know, there was the big interweave knits um, article about about it that I think was last summer that, um, you know, all the, all the bloggers are talking about and, you know, people are really interested in it. 
And so um, locally there was um, a shibori felting class offered at my yarn shop. And so I said, oh, that's totally at my alley. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go take this. And so I went and I took the class, and it was like unlocking, you know, my past. It was like, oh, yeah, totally forgot that I did stuff kind of along this line. I mean, I wasn't doing exactly it, but there was a lot of, a lot of things that reminded me of, you know, my, my old self and <laughs> some of the things that I had experimented with a long time ago. So, so it's been kind of a reawakening of, of some of those things, and I hope to definitely do more of that because it's, it's really it's a lot of fun. Well, everything does seem to cycle back. I mean, I've noticed. I, I learned to crochet when I was five, and then I kind of you know got away from it. And it's amazing. Like you know, when I get back into some of this stuff, it's like, wow, I've I've known how to do this for a really long time. You know, I yeah. just didn't for a while. So, um, and it, it's it's funny because that theme seems to be you know big in your life where you know you the knitting uh, spool came back <laughs> for you, and and now shibori before it was called shibori. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, my past life, yeah. Yeah, well, that's really fabulous. What are your creative influences? What influences your work? You, and you've kind of given us some insight because everything from reading your child's story, you know, and just having that time where your brain's not really focused on, you know, okay, I'm working now, I'm creating art, you know. Um, right. It, it, you, you're open to it, and so it comes to you, you know, and that's great to have that when, it, you know, you're just open to it whenever it hits you. But I don't know if there's anything in particular that any artists that you follow or any anything that you, you, you do that really puts you into that creative, you know, mode. Um, well, you know, when I, was, um, when I was in school studying fashion design, um, I really liked Missoni and Izzy Miyake and, and uh, you know, there was definitely some people that I kind of looked to back then. There really isn't, like, a particular artist or designer that I, that I have to see what's going on with them. You know, that's not really um, how I operate these days for some reason. Um, I think maybe part of it's the corporate burnout because, you know, when you work for a big company, they're always wondering... Like, well, how do they do it at the Gap? Or like, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a commercial on TV now that's like all these companies are wondering how they do it, and it all, you know, cycles back to like no one's really thinking uniquely because they're all thinking about how the other guy's doing it. But um, I, I do. I get a lot of things just kind of um, through osmosis from various places. Um, I like to go running. We have a lot of trails here and and uh, a lot of like prairie spaces that are, um, you know have running trails through them and stuff and they they have a great um change of seasons and and you know wildlife and stuff so that's always kind of inspiring from a visual point of view and then also from you know that um you're doing nothing but running and ideas pop in your head kind of thing um and then i've really i i started my blog um just like i don't know a month and a half ago something like that and you know, once you get into something like that, and you know, someone reads your blog, so then you read their blog, and all of a sudden you have this big list of blogs, and and I I get a lot of inspiration from that, from just seeing you know what crazy Japanese felting something somebody's making, and you know anything anything cute and felty, I'm all over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are your future plans? Well, I I don't have a specific plan uh, for the Beth White line per se i mean i i i want to i want to get it out there i want you know i want to i don't know what i want to do i you know i i just kind of am enjoying seeing where that goes um and something i've always wanted to do is write a book 
I feel like I have a book in me. I don't know what the book is. I don't know if it's me illustrating a kid's book through my fiber art, um, or is it writing a how-to book, um, you know, what to do with recycled sweaters. Um, when the uh, Alternates book came out, I had, like, mixed emotions because I sort of felt like, hey, that was my book. Like, that was that that looks and feels generally like a book I was meant to write. So I love that book, but I also have this little, like, hey, I was going to write that book feeling, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, and then, you know, that happens to everybody, I'm sure, in, in life. And, and uh, you know, it's just a matter of, um, you know, you realizing that and using that as sort of inspiration um, to move forward and, and, you know, come up with, with your version of it. So, um, so hopefully, hopefully some kind of book. Well, you have to tell me when you when you get your book deal. I will have you back, and we'll talk about your book. Um, All right. <laughs> well, I don't know if there's any elements, anything that we didn't cover that you want to talk about or anything I didn't ask you about. I, I just, I guess I would like, you know, a lot of people say, um, you know, oh, I'm not creative, or oh, you're so creative, and, and I just wish there was a way for people to be more open to their creativity, because every, everyone is, and it's just a matter of uh, tapping into it, and, you know, it, it just, it gives me such a high. <laughs> oh, I never wanted to feel that way. It's just, um, you know, there's nothing better than, like, a good brainstorming session, oh, you know? Oh, yeah, and it, mean, it is, and it's one of those great highs that, you know, you can't get arrested for that, you know. I mean, if you're working with your Crayolas, you know, no one's going to arrest you. you know? I know. <laughs> you know, I mean, and no matter what, no matter what the, um, no matter what you're brainstorming about, what to do at your kid's birthday party, you know, or, or like, it's, it was that whole creative problem-solving thing, you mm-hmm. know, like, how can I go at this a different way and, right. and uh, you know, turn the lemons into lemonade or whatever. And uh, I don't know, I think it's, it's um, I mean, you've mentioned it before, the people you've interviewed mentioned it before, too, about um, just really, like, uh, letting yourself be open to it. And, um, and I think... You know, a lot of times different things get in the way, like stress and fatigue and, uh, you know, parenthood. There's all kinds of things that, um, you know, they say you can be most creative when you're relaxed and happy. And I think, you know, that's why a lot of people um, get great ideas when they're in the shower because you're, you know, you can't do anything else. You're in there, you know. You can't right. be, like, on your phone or writing the email or something. Oh, please, and, uh, I hope they don't come out with a waterproof cell phone. <laughs> oh, gosh. I would, oh, that, if, if someone does that, shame, shame. Just, if you have that idea, <laughs> put it in your drawer and never open it again. <laughs> you know, let us have our shower time. <laughs> yeah, I know, because then you're relaxed in there, you feel good, you know, hopefully you're happy, and I don't know. So, I mean, I just, it's, it's really, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to be a part of somehow helping people, um, you know, tap into that. And well, what recommendation do you have for people that, um, you know, are feeling like they're stressed and they, they're having trouble? Because I think the hardest part is if someone's walked around for like the last five or ten years telling themselves they're not creative, it's hard to open that part of themselves up again. Um, what would you suggest that someone do if they're having trouble getting, you know, tapping into that creative side? Yeah, you know, it's it's so it's so personal. Well, you know, what what do you do when you when you're trying to brainstorm and you know you you need to come up with some new ideas? Um, what what do you do? Um, I I walk away from it. I mean, I I um, and sometimes it's not my choice. Like 
sometimes it doesn't occur to me to walk away from it because I feel like I'm not ready. Say I'm I'm working on a design, you know, for the print studio in New York or something, and you know I've got four done. And I need the fifth one, and and you know, okay, I did the owl, I did the bunny. What else? What else should I do with gosh? <laughs> I mean, that's not marketable. I mean, I just you know sometimes I I I really get stuck, and and uh, and then sometimes I just run out of time, and I think, oh, I got to go pick up the boys from school. And I'll and I'll be frustrated. I'm not done. The day ended. Like I like I told you, I have a crabby boss. You know, like you didn't get enough done today. <laughs> and uh, I beat myself up. And then I leave. And the the boys' school is not very far away. It's just like a three minute drive. And um, you know, it's all it takes is I I go I drive over there and I, you know, obviously I'm I'm with them and I'm you know in mom mode and um, you know I've completely shut off. Uh, I got to come up with the other woodland creature thing. And even if I wanted to keep thinking about it, it's gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then I, I do that part of my life to get the kids to make the dinner, the play and read stories and go to bed thing. And then when I come back, and even though what I was doing may or may not have been enjoyable, you know, it might have been, you know, a fun love and time, or it might have been really stressful where everybody was crabby or something. Um, but regardless, it was a it was a physical and emotional and a creative break. And then when I come back into my studio and look, it's like, oh, oh, well, I can completely see what was wrong with that design. Or, oh, well, I thought that was hideous, but, you know, it's kind of cute if I just add a little doodah. <laughs> I mean, it's just really, it, and it always amazes me. And even, you know, I'm sitting here telling you that, that um, taking a break um, – you know, is the answer, and I still won't believe myself later today when I'm stuck. You know? Oh well, I think I am absolutely famous for, um, you know, on this show. I think I've misled people to think that I, I have the answers when it comes to, um, you know, creativity and everything. But I'm really great at figuring out other people's, like, oh yeah, you should do a book with that. You should, oh yeah, the, yeah, you're on the right track. You know, I mean, and then I struggle with my own. You know, it's like right. I can't take my own advice sometimes. And I think that's something that probably a lot of us have in common is that we we have the answers. We know what we have to do. And, um, you know, we just have to listen to ourselves more. So. Right, right. And the, and the don't feel guilty about the break. I mean, I mentioned uh, meeting my friend for coffee once every two weeks. And, uh, you know, I still, I still would have that, like, well, I only have this many hours. And if I spend one and a half at the coffee shop, you know, that's one and a half hours less of, you know, sketching or something. But, um, but it's so valuable, you know. It's... Um, whether you're talking about your project or not, you know, at the coffee shop, it's, it's, um, you never know what's going to sneak up and give you a little inspiration. So, well, I, so think, I guess that's my advice. Yeah, well, it's great advice. It's great advice. And, uh, you're on your way, sister. I think you're going to, that book deal will come in. Something great is going to happen. Um, because it's, it just sounds like you're, I mean, I have had, I've been sitting here I have a little pencil, and I have like twelve ideas now of just things I'm going to do. They have totally nothing to do with what we talked about. Um, you're, you're, but you're good at getting people thinking. So I hope everyone at home has that same response to hearing you talk and and gets back into their studio and and create some great stuff. So um, thank you so much for oh, your time. Well, thank you. Thanks to Betts for sharing her story with us today. She's a great example of someone who's ramping up her her crafty side business. I don't know about you, but I was so inspired by my chat with Betts that I ran out and bought one of those Bond hand crank embellished knit machines right after I taped the interview. And it turns out that that machine does not work nearly as well as the machine that um, Betts 
uses, she has a Magicord. It's kind of an earlier model. So she reports that the Magicord works fantastically. And her and I both agree that the embellished knit isn't quite there. When you get it to work, it's fantastic. But I unfortunately spent a lot of my time grumbling to myself because I wasn't real pleased with how it worked. So um, I guess what I'm saying is if you want to try that out, you're forewarned that it might be a little frustrating. And if you have one and you have gotten it to work fabulously, maybe there's just something I'm doing wrong. So feel free to send me your tips if you have a way to, to make it work better. Or if you know of another machine that does the same kind of thing. Or if there are any um, people out there that are product designers for craft supply companies. There are plenty of us out here who would love to see a hand crank I-cord maker that works really well. And it would be awesome if it was available in different sizes so we could use different size yarns. Back on track here. Betts was really cool about giving us a project today. Her contribution is a great shibori scarf tutorial. And I'm posting that on craftsanity.com, and there'll also be links back to her site where it originally appeared. Oh, and finally, here is the conclusion for the Echo Friendly Craft Contest that you guys probably thought was never going to end because I kept stretching this out and stretching it out. And I just want to thank everyone who entered the contest and all of you who submitted those great ideas. Entries ranged from refashioning men's boxer shorts into a pair of baby pants to a refrigerator door recycled into a wall shelving unit. But in the end, there could only be one winner. And she is a woman named Sandra from Canada who crafted her way through a wardrobe disaster to win the Echo Friendly Crafting Contest and a copy of Gala Trail's fantastic You Grow Girl, The Groundbreaking Guide to Gardening book. So congratulations, Sandra. I invite you all to visit craftsanity.com for more from Sandra and to hear her story of how she coped when her favorite sweater made the unfortunate trip through the wash I'm sure many of us can relate. I certainly can. I have a dress that met a similar demise and is destined to be a quilt. I just don't have the heart to cut it up yet. And a uh, special thanks to Simon & Schuster for donating a copy of You Grow Girl for the contest. We really appreciate that. The next book giveaway is coming up. I have a copy of Debbie Stoller's Stitch and Bitch Crochet, The Happy Hooker. And this is a fantastic book, too. I'll be posting my interview with Debbie in a few weeks, so if you want the book, all you have to do is send me a note saying why you'd like it. Debbie suggested that it go to a crafter who may not be able to afford it otherwise. So if your craft budget is low and your love of needle arts is very high, send me an email and I'll put your name in the hat. So I guess basically what I'm saying is that if you're loaded, you know, please don't enter. I'd like to see the book go to somebody who would love to have it and might think, geez, I really have a lot of other things to pay for and feel like, you know, the guilt would be overwhelming if they went out and bought it. I think that's it for this week. Boy, a lot of announcements, a lot of craziness. Check out craftsanity.com for links to all the stuff I mentioned here. Also, I'm going to be getting a blog ramped up because I find that I have a lot of stuff that I want to say during the week. I think I'm going to just put that in a blog instead of uh, putting you guys all to sleep with it on my show. So you guys have a fantastic week. And, you know, when times get tough and you're feeling like you're starting to come a little unglued, take a deep breath, grab your craft supplies, and craft sanity, my friends. Oh, it certainly works for me. <laughs> Until next week, I'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. 
You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email jennifer at craftsanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.